But again, I'm just some clown that has a podcast. Ask your doctor. That's, that's what really matters. Next question. Dizwins Radio episode 861 starts in three, two, Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Well, well, here we are. It is that time of the month again. It is time for you to get your questions answered. This is one of uh, one of my favorite episodes each month, and and I think, judging by the numbers, at least one of y'all's favorite episodes each month. Uh, always seems like more folks listen to the Q and A episodes than uh, any of the other ones. So you're, you're a little bit more fussy, a little more picky throughout the uh, throughout the month with the interviews, the quick tips. But when it comes to uh, your questions, you like to hear my answers. Apparently, so hopefully today we won't disappoint. Uh, if you're new around here, this is something. Uh, in case you haven't figured it out yet, this is something that we do each and every month. That the, the last the last Friday of each month is dedicated to nothing but your questions, my answers, and a little bit of tomfoolery mixed in there as well. So if you'd like to get on board, like to get your questions in the hopper, you can send your questions any old time. But hands down, the best way to ensure that your questions are going to get answered is to come and join the Facebook group, which you can get to by pointing your browser to disruns.com slash Facebook. Or the next time you're on Facebook, just look look for, I believe the proper search term is the Disruns Tribe. Um, click to join. We'll let you in. And then somewhere in the, about, a, about 10 days before this episode goes out, I put out a post that says, hey, what are your questions this month? You throw your questions into the comments, and then I answer them. It's, it's really that simple. I mean, I, I wish I could say it was more complicated than that. Although, actually, I don't. I'm glad it's not more complicated than that because if, if it was, I would find a way to screw things up uh, more so than I do. I'd find more ways to to lose questions in the mix or whatever the case might be. Um, like I said, you can you can email them. You can, you can you know, message them to me. But those ones, I try not to lose them, but sometimes those questions get lost. So join the Facebook group if you're on Facebook. Uh, and uh, that is certainly the best way to get your questions answered. Before we get to this month's questions, one other quick announcement that I mentioned last month, but I want to put it out there again this month. Um, this this year, starting July 1st, so the, the year from July 1st to June 30th, 2021, is uh, officially the sixth full year of the podcast. That The show turned six on July 1st, and uh, my, my goal for this year, I don't know if it's my goal, my ambition for this year is to have as many of you guys featured on the podcast as would be interested in being featured, aka the Monday interviews that, that happen every week. Uh, I want to be with you guys. Now, I'm not saying exclusively uh, because I'm probably going to mix in an author or two or something like that. You know, something that, that pops up, comes along, you know, as, as happens. I'm um, going to mix in some of those as well. But for the most part, I want you guys to be the stars of the show. If you want to be, of course. And so I, I think we've got about 30 folks, something like that, 30, 35. I, I haven't counted you know, recently, but I think that's about where we're at. As far as folks that have raised their hand and said, hey, I'd love to be on the show. I'm in the process of reaching out to all of you. So if you've, if you've contacted me already, consider yourself on the list. You know, can't reach out to all 35 at once because Lord knows all of you would then try to schedule for the next week and I would be 
that would not be a good situation. Too many interviews in too short of a time. So we're trying to reach out to, you know, three to five people every week, something like that. Uh, getting them scheduled, you know, sporadically throughout the, the rest, of, you know, the next several months. Um, but there's always room for more. And if we have more than 52, then we'll keep going well beyond July 1st. We'll keep going with this line of, of you know, having you guys having the chance to chat with y'all a little bit. Instead of you listening to me, I want to be able to listen to you and, and hear your stories and share your stories. So if you're interested, let me know. Shoot me an email. Tag me on on a post. Send me a DM. Slide into the, the messages. Uh, whatever works best for you to let me know. I'll reply back saying, hey, all right, cool. You're on the list. And then just be patient. And I will get to you uh, as we go. So if you're interested... If you want to answer the question, what is your favorite distance to race and why? Now's the opportunity. Now's the opportunity. Let's let's make it happen over the next several weeks, months, and who knows, maybe beyond the year. Uh, let's let's make this uh, something that, that happens. So now, without any further ado, we've got uh, we've got some questions today. Let's answer them, shall we? Let's let's have a little fun. Maybe learn a few things. Um, and let's dive right in. The first question comes from Barb. Uh, she asks, my question is about acute running injuries. Like when you're running and you roll your ankle or fall and bang up your knee, uh, not so bad that it keeps you from finishing your run uh, because you're able to just shake it off and keep going. But but what happens when you get home? What are the best measures to uh, to make, you know, speed up the healing process, make it as, as uh, minimal of an issue as possible? Is it to do the old rice principle, ibuprofen, put on a brace? Is there a better and more updated treatment? Uh, how about, you know, in the, in the days and weeks following, uh, what are the measures that we can take to ensure that our bumps and bruises don't show up and cause problems later on? So great, great question, Barb. Um, and, and, and now is where I hedge my bets, right? Now is when I say, Great question, but it's really hard to answer in generalities because there's so many different injuries that could happen. I mean, you listed two, uh, there's a dozen others, and each one is going to have some variance in how you treat it and what you do and what the best steps are and what the prognosis is. Um, and then, of course, the severity of each instance. Is it just a, a little a little tweak? Is it something a little bit more uh, severe, a little bit more substantial, that even though you're still able to run it off and, and finish your run, you know, after after 24 hours, at 48 hours, it really is. It seems like it's a bigger deal. There's a lot of variables is the moral of the story. There's a lot of, of things that um, are going to impact what needs to be done, what the next steps are uh, that, that I just can't answer all of them in every possible, uh, scenario, situation, whatever, and what have you. That said, a couple of, of thoughts that, that come to mind, a couple of, of things. Uh, I personally am, am a bit of a fan of the rice principle, the rest, ice, compression, and elevation. Um, but, but that said, it's not appropriate all the time. Um, I'm okay with taking some ibuprofen, some type of anti-inflammatory to help try to calm things down a little bit. But again, not appropriate all the time. Um, you know, as far as new updated treatment options, uh, I will admit that I'm not as, as uh, up to date on those things as I used to be uh, when I was, you know, obviously a practicing athletic trainer and we're kind of always on the cutting edge of, of, you know, what can we do to speed up the recovery process and what can we do to make things go a little bit quicker, a little bit easier, uh, you know, in that process of returning to play after some type of, of acute injury. Um, but, but one thing that I know has been becoming more and more popular of late is kind of getting away from that rice principle, uh, and actually doing some type of modified movement, modified activity with, with the injury pretty much as soon as possible. So, you know, if you're talking about like rolling your ankle, you know, you might finish your run, but then, you know, what can you do 
immediately after? Can you get on the bike? Can you get in the pool and do some underwater walking? Um, things like that, that, that take some of the force off, take some of the pounding off, uh, but allow your body to continue to move, allow the blood to continue to flow. Uh, try to encourage the blood to continue to flow, which is going to help to bring nutrients to the area and, and, um, you know, that, that your body is going to then use to, to heal and repair the, the damaged structures, uh, and also help to try to bring, you know, bring some of that, that swelling out or the, the potential of swelling out, try to keep the swelling to a minimum, minimum by continuing to move. There's no, there's no question that minimizing, reducing the swelling after an acute injury is a good thing. And that's where the rice principle from, from the past comes in, you know, rest it, get off of it, elevate it, put some ice on it to try to, to, to reduce the blood flow to the area, reduce the, the swelling that's going to happen, put compression gear on it or, or put some type of wrap on it, which again is going to help to, to prevent uh, the swelling from taking over. And, and I mean, those things are still sound principles, but one of the objections or one of the, the things that's kind of being studied a bit more, as far as I understand it, again, I'm not, not as up to date on this as I used to be, um, but it makes sense if you think about it a little bit, is that when you, when you do compression, when you do ice, yes, that can help to reduce the swelling, which is ultimately a good thing, but it also reduces the, that positive blood flow. It reduces the amount of blood flowing to the area that's bringing oxygen, that's bringing the, the, the tools, if you will, that our bodies use to do that repair process. It's, it's slowing that delivery system down. It's also reducing the uh, transport of waste products, the transport of, of damaged cells out of the area, which happens when you have blood flow. So while the the, the rice principle does, does kind of help, does kind of work, um, maybe, and the argument that, that a lot of, uh, the newer physiotherapists, athletic trainers, um, researchers are, are saying is that maybe that slows down the healing process a bit more than doing something that, that keeps things moving, that keeps, you know, not, not introducing heat to the area, but keeps the area from getting too stiff, that kind of prevents the swelling from really settling in and kind of keeps, keeps things flowing, keeps things moving. So maybe that's a better option. Um, you know, again, I think both options work. I know both options work. Um, is one better than the other? Well, you know, if we're talking about being a couple days quicker of, of the healing process, then maybe you want to be a little bit, not aggressive, but a little bit less, uh, you know, the rice thing is you're kind of taking, you're, you're kind of shutting it down, right? You're, you're icing it, you're elevating it, you're, you're, you're locking it down, keeping it from, from moving too much. Uh, maybe that slows the process down a little bit more than doing some, some easy movement. But the things that, that I think that are most important, whichever, whatever method you go to immediately afterwards, um, you know, the return to treatment or the return to, to running options are, you know, to, to try to get the swelling down as much as possible. Um, keep it down, keep working on getting that swelling out of there. Keep working on, you know, getting your range of motion back. So when you have swelling in a joint that limits how much it can move. So you want to get that swelling out. You want to get that range of motion back. Um, you know, you want to work on making sure things are stable. Things are balanced. Things are, are kind of equal, good side to bad side, uh, and then start easing into it. But again, you know, like I, like I said at the beginning, the disclaimer that I put out there is that, you know, that, that might be pretty good sound advice for, um, you know, for, for a rolled ankle. But what about, like you said, what about for a fall? What about for, for a bump and a bruise? Um, you know, it may not be the right, the right treatment protocol for everything. So it's, it's really hard to, to go, uh, and paint with, a, with a super broad brush here. Um, but, 
But yeah, rice is good. Movement is good. Easy stuff. It, the, the key is that you don't want to push too much, right? You don't want to overload the system. You don't want to make the situation worse. But doing something where you're on the bike or just going for an easy walk or, you know, if you have a pool or, you know, whether it's your pool or a gym pool or whatever, a uh, community pool, get in the pool and, and move around a little bit. Those are usually good options that certainly aren't going to make anything worse and very well may help speed things up just a little bit by getting some of that blood flow moving, uh, which is, which is a key part of the healing process. So I hope I didn't waffle on my answer there too much for you, Barb. I know I waffled a lot. Um, I hope I didn't waffle too much. Um, but it really is a case by case basis. That's, that's hard to, to just talk in generalities and, and make any sense and to say something that's, that's, that applies throughout it. Just, it's just not, it's, it's not an answer that I can really feel comfortable giving in those circumstances. So, but thank you for the question. Hopefully it's information that you won't need to use anytime soon. Stay upright, stay safe out there. Uh, and hope you have a good, uh, a good, good, you know, rest of 2020 as far as running goes, certainly hope you have a good rest of 2020 on other fronts too. But, uh, anyway, you know what I'm saying? Be healthy with your running is the name of the game. And then you don't have to worry about managing acute injuries, uh, too often. Next question comes from uh, Liz. Is it normal to feel a burn in your glutes when you do calf raises? Uh, no, Liz, it's it's not normal. Although I think, and I'm reading into your question a lot here, but I think I can figure out a logical reason why you might be feeling some burning in your glutes. So, um, you know, for those that are completely unaware, no problem being unaware. If you don't know, you don't know. There's nothing wrong with that. Calf raises are another word for toe raises. So it's kind of standing on, usually on one foot, sometimes two feet, depending, uh, but usually on one foot where you're raising up onto your tiptoes, working the, the calf muscles, the, the muscles on the back of your lower leg, uh, Achilles tendon area, doing some strengthening uh, work in that in that area, um, which, is, which is important. I mean, we use our calves. Our calves are... are uh, often overlooked until something goes wrong as far as how important they are to propel us forward as running. They, they absorb energy. They, they build up tension. They release it out. That's what your Achilles tendon does, uh, which is connected to your calf. Um, so it all goes through there. It's, it's a, a prime component, uh, vital component of our running anatomy. Okay. So having good, strong calves, valuable. So doing some, some calf exercises, some eccentrics, some concentrics, which just means eccentric is the more of the lowering phase. So you raise up and then very slowly lower down and put your, your muscle under attention when you're, while it's also stretching or lengthening. And then also obviously raising up on your toes. Both are good exercises. Both are things that personally I need to do more of. Maybe you do as well. Um, but you should really just kind of feel it in the calves, right? Like, like this isn't the type of exercise that you should feel, in a bunch of other parts of your body. It's not, it's not a multi-joint. I guess technically it maybe is a multi-joint. You could get a little bit of, uh, you know, some of your calf musculature does cross the knee joint. So I guess it's got knee and, and ankles, but really you should feel it in the calf muscle for the most part. So back to the, to your question, Liz, is it normal to feel the burn in the glutes? No, but how could that happen? Well, I'm going to assume, and you know what happens when you assume, but I'm going to assume that you're doing your toe raises single-legged which is good, which is a good thing. Cause when we're running, we need to supply that force with, with one, with each leg individually, right? We're not, we're not running with both feet on the ground, exploding off at the same time. That's called jumping, which is a little bit different than running. So we need to have that strength, that stability, that balance bilaterally, meaning each leg. So it's, it's a good thing if you can do it to do it, do your calf raises, you know, single legged. Um, but when you go up into that single legged position, single legged, single legged, I don't know, Either way, tomato, tomato, right? Um, when you're when you're on one foot, 
to do your calf raises or to do any balance work or anything like that. Your glutes become engaged to help maintain stability through your, through your core, through your hips and to keep your pelvis from kind of dropping. All right. So like you take, if you take your left foot off the ground, one actually, I mean, this is actually a clinical test. This is a, this is a, I believe it's called the Trendelenburg test. Although my fellow, uh, sports medicine professionals, if I'm, if I'm mixing and matching my tests, please forgive me, but I'm 96.3% sure that it's the Trendelenburg test or the Trendelenburg sign is, is to have somebody stand on one foot and observe what happens with their hips. If you raise your left foot off the ground, so you're balancing now on your right foot, if your if your left hip kind of drops down to compensate for that left foot coming off the ground, that's a good sign that the glutes are weak. Specifically, the media the the uh, gluteus medius is is weak because if that muscle is strong, if that muscle is able to really engage, it's going to keep your pelvis more or less level. There, there's going to be maybe just a little bit of compensation, but if it's if it's very much at all. It's a, it's a positive test of the Trendelenburg sign of the Trendelenburg test. And it means that you have glute medius weakness. So my assumption here, and again, I'm connecting some dots that may or may not be there. I don't know from the, the question, but I, I do know from talking to you a little bit, Liz, that I know that some glute strengthening, firing issues, maybe something that we've been trying to work on. My assumption is that if your glutes aren't fully engaged, when you're doing your calf raises, when you're balancing on one foot, that, that glute medius is trying to hold on. It's trying to keep those hips square. It's trying to keep things where they're supposed to be without that sagging. All right. Without, without the drop that is significant, that is a positive sign of glute weakness. So I'm thinking that your glutes are holding on and they're starting to get fatigued before your calf gets fatigued, before your, your, finishing your, your reps and your sets of your calf raises. And that's why you're feeling the burn in the glutes. I think again, if, if I've put the dots together in the appropriate way, my assumption would be that as you continue to work on strengthening your glutes as well and getting your glutes to fire more as well, that you're going to stop feeling the burn when you do your calf raises. So broader picture beyond just Liz's question for everybody else listening here, this is one of those where it just shows how something above or below in our chain can impact something else, a weakness, uh, 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 deficiency, something that's, that's not quote unquote, right above or below us on the chain can cause problems. So you're working to strengthen the calf here, Liz, which is great. And it's highlighting potentially probably highlighting that we also need to continue to work on strengthening your glutes. Right? So, um, my, that's my feeling on why you're feeling it. Is it normal? No. Is it a huge issue? No, it just highlights what we already know that we need to keep working on strengthening. All of us need to keep working on strengthening, activating, firing our glutes because our glute maximus is a big driver in, uh, propelling us forward. Our glute medius is a big driver in stabilizing our hips, both of which are kind of important. So something to keep working on. And when you do, I got a feeling that those glutes are going to stop burning when you're doing your calf raises. So great question. Uh, and again, something that I think we, we can, we can easily read into more of, but I think it's an important one to dive into and, and have done some of that reading into. So thank you for, for asking it, Liz. Uh, next question from Liz and kind of follow, not really a follow up, but I'm going to call it a follow up because it's, it's right after it in the order here. Uh, why is it so hard to take a rest day? Val- valid question, valid observation, something that I know a lot of folks struggle with. And I think the reason that we struggle with it is because we've been told or we've, we've maybe not been told, but we've heard, uh, in all areas of life, 
that you know you get out of it what you put into it, right? The, like the, the harder you work, the more likely you are to, to achieve success. You know, there was that what's that quote or saying that you know the harder I work, the luckier I seem to get. All of which kind of points us towards the the idea that you know if you're not working to make progress, you're not making progress, and you know that that kind of gets into that no pain no gain philosophy that so many of us have you know have have had it instilled in us from younger days uh tv ads whatever the case might be um and we just feel like man we got to go we got to go we got to go it's not exactly true it's true to a point yes we need to work hard we need to be doing actions we need to run to improve as runners to work towards our running goals it's absolutely part of the process but a rest day is part of that process as well because as i've said before as I'll say again, we don't get stronger. Our bodies don't adapt and improve, quote unquote, improve, whatever you, you know, like, get stronger, repair, whatever the case might be. That doesn't happen during the run. That doesn't happen during the strength training session. Where, where we get stronger, where our bodies become more resilient, where our endurance improves, is when we have those rest days, when we allow our body to do the repair work, when we allow that cellular process to play out, which repairs some of the damage that's done. Because when you're doing hard running, when you're doing strength training, you're tearing, literally tearing your muscle fibers. Now, these are micro tears at the, at the microscopic level, but that's what's happening. That repair work that happens, the body literally fixing itself, it fixes it to become stronger, to be more resistant to the demands that you've placed upon it. That's how we get stronger, faster, more explosive, yada, yada, yada. So I think that the reason it's so hard to take a rest day is we feel like we're not doing anything to help us move the ball down the court. If I can mix my sports metaphors here, we're not doing anything to, to, to move us forward in the pursuit of our goals because we're resting. We're not doing, we need to do to, to go. But when you, when you wrap your head around and embrace the idea that, Hey, I need to work hard, but I also need to recover hard. I also need to allow my body to respond, to adapt to the demands that I've placed upon it. When you, when you can kind of really wrap your head around that and realize that a rest day isn't an off day. It isn't a zero day. It isn't a day that you're making no progress. It's a day that's required to continue making progress. When you, when you wrap your head around that and fully embrace it, it stops being real hard to take a rest day. All right. It, it, I mean, my rest days, I don't necessarily look forward to them and that like, I'm like, oh God, I can't wait until Sunday. So I don't have to run, but I don't very often, very, very rarely. And it usually it's, it requires a schedule overhaul, traveling, vacation, race, whatever. Um, very rarely do I run on Sunday. It's just not even something that's on my radar. Like Sunday rolls around and it's just, yep, I'm not, I'm not running. Like I don't even think about running on Sunday because that's my rest day. I need that day. I need that day. My body needs a day. My mind needs the day. And I know that I'm still moving forward towards my goals, even though I don't run on Sunday because, because, you know, because I understand how that works because I've embraced how it works. Because I, I, I know firsthand that the body, just because we're not running, doesn't mean our body's not working. Our body's still working. It's working hard. It's to do, it's repairing all of the, the, the bumps and bruises and aches and pains that I may not even notice, but that have developed over a week of running. They're getting fixed on Sunday so that Monday I can hit the road at whatever, 530 in the morning, get my miles in, start my week off on the right foot. And my odds of injury are going down because I took that rest day. 
So uh, once you embrace the importance and the value and the the fact that the rest day helps you move closer to your goals, I th- I think my experience at least is that it ceases to be so difficult to take a rest day because you recognize that it's still part of the process and an important part of the process. So hopefully that helps, Liz. Uh, hopefully that that helps you to uh, to not get a case of the uh, the itches. What is that? Is that the, that's probably not the right way of saying it, but you, not being itchy to run, itchy to do something on your rest day, but just relax and enjoy it. Sleep in a little bit, kick your feet up, do the laundry. Uh, not that doing the laundry is fun, but do do something to take your mind off it, but something that's not hard work. That's not super physical. That's not a run because those rest days are important. But thank you for the questions, ma'am. Uh, certainly appreciate it. Next uh, trifecta block of questions comes from Mona. She even pokes a little fun at herself, so she can't uh, can't not ask multiple questions, which is uh, which is okay. Which is okay. We're always happy to have uh, any questions, all questions, multiple questions, one question, whatever the case might be. I'm down. So the first question from Mona: Movies, movies, movies. Top five running related movies that can make one jump off the couch and go running. Uh, I saw Once Is Enough uh, last last night, and that gave me this idea. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's certainly, uh, on my list. And and this is a tough one. This is actually a really tough question because, um, kind of those typical kind of Hollywoody type of, of running movies don't really do it for me. Um, I don't, and I don't know why. I mean, I, I, I just don't, they they just don't really do it for me. And I, I haven't really gotten into a lot of the documentaries. I haven't seen, uh, you know, some of those, those ones that what's the one, um, I can't remember the, the lady's name, but it's whatever runs a marathon, um, I know y'all are screaming at the, at your, your phone or whatever, right? Is it Brittany? Brittany runs a marathon. I know everybody was talking about it. I kind of wanted to see it, but I never got around to watching it. Um, I'm sure that's probably one. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't watch many running movies. Like for me, it'd be like Zombieland. That's a good one. Maybe Forrest Gump. Uh, you know, some of those movies that have like an iconic running scene or there's a little mention of running, but it's certainly not a running movie. Um, but if I had to, to narrow it down, I couldn't, I can't do five. I can't, I'll, Let's just say I can't do five. Um, I can do two or three, depending on how you want to count it. Once is enough, definitely on the list. Uh, if you if you go back uh, a few few weeks ago, uh, see if I can find a show number for you while I'm while I'm rambling here. But uh, interviewed uh, Jeffrey Binney, Jeffrey James Binney, for the second time. He was on the show back in like episode forty or something like that. I mean, like way 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 back in the day. Um, but then he was on again recently, uh, and and his his documentary, his film uh, that that he stars, he directed, he produced, he did all of it. He did all the things for it. Uh, recently was released and it's on all the streaming places, uh, not Netflix. It's, it's places where you can rent it. It's so like Amazon, uh, Apple play or whatever, iTunes, whatever, those types of things. Um, but the film is called once is enough. Highly recommend it. It's, it's a fantastic, fantastic film, fan, fantastic story. Um, we talked about it. We gave away the ending. It's episode 848. If you missed that one, uh, funny guy, he's a comedian actor. So there's a lot of, of humor and some of his stand up routine that's mixed into it, tied into or woven into it, I guess. Um, definitely encourage you to check out once is enough. I think once is enough film.com is the website. Um, but I encourage you to give that one a watch if you haven't done so already. Spoiler or not spoiler alert warning. It may make you want to do some crazy long distances, whether it's a hundred miler, 50 miler, ultra marathon, whatever. Um, it may motivate you to be like, you know what? Maybe I can do that too. So just be careful. Be careful. Um, another one that's maybe two, depending on how you want to count it, but, uh, the spirit of the marathon movies, spirit of the marathon, one spirit of the marathon, two, two other documentaries that again, make you be like, God dang, maybe I want to do Maybe I want to do a marathon. Maybe. Ah, yeah. I, I, yeah, let's do this. Um, so those ones are, are other movies that I really enjoyed both of those. Um, so those would be my, my three. And I really, I, I mean, that's, that's it. 
that's it. Three three running related movies that uh, really that are really like runner focus. Once is enough. Spirit of Marathon one. Spirit of Marathon two. Um, clearly, I need to watch more running movies. So I'm curious. You, Mona, everybody else listening, let me know. What what running movies should I check? Is Britney Runs a Marathon? Is that one that I should check out? What else? Let me know. Uh, and uh, maybe I'll, you know, maybe maybe we'll make a movie night uh, with, with Bex and I. Shoot, maybe we could do a, I don't know, doing a tribe movie night. That probably would be too much. Uh, but maybe we can, you know, kind of like we have the book club and the patrons group. Maybe we can have, um, you know, like a movie movie club, movie night type, type of something where we pick a movie to watch and then just kind of have a discussion thread on it. I don't know. Call me crazy. Maybe it would work. Uh, maybe I'm just creating more work for myself. I, who knows? But, uh, you know, I guess the moral of the story, I need to see more running movies. So let me know what good ones I should watch. Uh, but as in continuing with Mona's question, but wait, as you may know by now, I love to ask multiple questions. So here it comes, uh, throw in the top running books as well. I have so many want to see if you will mention some from my collection. So this one, I can definitely get to the, uh, get to the five. Uh, I can, I can come up with a list of five here. Um, probably could come up with a, with a longer list, but, uh, here, here are probably, probably my top five that I've read semi recently. Uh, my year of running dangerously. Love that one. Uh, friend of the show, Tom Foreman. Uh, you may know him from CNN. That's the same Tom Foreman. Um, but, uh, love that book. Have, he's been on the show a couple times. Probably need to, to saddle up with him again. Tried to meet up with him when I was in DC for, um, Marine Corps last year didn't quite work out. So I guess I need to plan another trip to DC, uh, so I can maybe interview Tom in person, but, uh, but yeah, love that book. It was a really good one. Um, from it's, it's a few years old now, but, uh, also spoiler alert. I, you, you asked me questions about books. I'm going to talk about the book club, right? Uh, we are going to be diving into my year of running dangerously in the Diz runs book club for the patrons. Uh, I believe in the month of September. So, you know, Maybe you want to join the party. Maybe you want to come and join us. Uh, Patreon.com slash Dizruns. That is uh, one of the cool things that we do there. Uh, another book that may be part of the book club in the not-too-distant future that uh, was it was a one that I really, really enjoyed, uh, Born to Run. Born to Run, kind of uh, one of those books that uh, a lot of people have talked about, a lot of people have read. Uh, I've read it, kind of want to read it again, which, you know, book club, we can have that opportunity to do that again. Uh, but definitely enjoyed, enjoyed that book. Chris, Mc, Chris McDougall wrote it. Kind of talks a lot about about uh, minimist running, but even beyond that, just the idea, I mean, the, the pictures it paints about the, the Tarahumara uh, running in Mexico, I mean, oof, sounds amazing, sounds awesome, uh, definitely uh, enjoyed that book. Um, another one, Nowhere Near First by my friend Corey Reese, uh, ultra marathoner, uh, just some of the adventures and the, the trials and tribulations that he's experienced in some of the many different races he's run, um, the Sufferfest races he's run, the struggles, the aches, the pains, the, the, the difficulty of running 100 miles, and he does it a lot. Um, that was a, a fun book, and he was on the show talking about that book, gosh, I don't know, a couple years ago. May or may not be in your feed. Um, but we, you know, we, you can always go back and find it in the, uh, in the archives on the website and listen to it there. Uh, but that was, that was another good book that I enjoyed. Uh, natural born heroes, another book by Christmas, Chris McDougall, uh, talking about kind of, uh, the, the Cretans, I think, uh, the, the, the runners in the Island of Crete and the role that they played kind of like shepherds, herders, things like that. And the role they played, uh, during world war two, when the Germans, uh, were, you know, kind of took over their Island and, and, uh, some of these, these guys that, you know, were messengers, spies, things like that. Uh, and the, the feats of running that they 
took and how that helped to maybe turn the tide in the war and help to defeat the the Germans. Uh, that book was really, really interesting. I listened to that one on audio, uh, on Audible. Um, so if you want to check that one out, disruns.com slash Audible. You're getting all my plugs here for the books. Thank you for this question, Moni. You team me up. Uh, but you can get that book for free. You can give it a listen. Check it out, disruns.com slash Audible, and then look for Natural Born Heroes. And then last but not least on my list, a book that is really a, a, a while ago that I read it. Um, but again, a good one. It's called Older, Faster, Stronger. And it talks about kind of like master's athletes. And it, I think it's it's inspiring in that uh, it reminds us that, you know, we don't have to stop running when we get to, you know, be 40 years old, 50 years old, whatever. Like we can continue to, to push ourselves. And sure, running might look a little bit different when, you, you know, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, um, depending on how old you are. But, uh, you know, I think no matter how old you are, I think hope we're all planning to be running for 10, 20, 30 more years at least, minimum. Um, and and running might look different, but we can still do it. And maybe, just maybe, it might help us to feel younger and be healthier and have more life in our quote-unquote golden years by continuing to be active and run. So that book's called Older, Faster, Younger, or I'm sorry, Older, Faster, Stronger. Uh, and I really enjoyed that one. Really enjoyed that book. It's been a while since I read that one as well. Um, and let me, I can't remember exactly who the author is. Hold on. Ah, yes. Margaret Webb is the author of Older, Faster, Stronger. She was on the podcast again. This was, you know, probably episode 90, episode 80, something like that. Um, we talked about that book uh, several years ago, uh, but it was a good one. And again, would encourage you to check that one out if you haven't already. Uh, so those are those are my five. Uh, all good books. So many good running books out there. Uh, maybe there'll eventually be another good running book out there by by me, but uh, we're, we're, not, we're not to that point yet. Um, but, uh, but yeah, those are some good ones. And again, what, what am I missing? What, what, what books should we, should we uh, be reading in the, in the, in the book club? What books should I just be reading because they're good to read? Uh, let me know Mona or anyone else, uh, what, what other books, uh, you've enjoyed reading. And then Mona's last question. Let me find it here. Uh, last question, pizza or tacos, pizza slam dunk. And that's no, no disparaging against tacos. Um, I enjoy a good taco but I enjoy good pizza more and, and being a low carb guy, if I'm going to, if I'm going to blow my carbs out for a, a day or two, um, I'm like three to one more likely to be like, let's get a pizza versus let's go to a taco place. Again, I'm cool with tacos. I enjoy a good taco, but, uh, I mean, pizza, pizza, come on, come on. Thank you for the questions, Mona. Next question comes from Jackie. She wants a, a little peek at how the sausage is made. I don't know. You know once, once the toothpaste comes out of the tube, Jackie, you can't, uh, can't put it back in. But she says, in your podcast intro, you play a witty or otherwise uh, clip from the podcast at the beginning. I love this. I'm curious if these typically jump out to you during your interview or do you have to search for, for something afterwards? Either way, keep them coming. I mean, you know, this is this is like a trade secret here, Jackie, and, and you want me to just put it out there for the whole world to to like know how this this stuff happens? All right, but uh, don't don't complain if I'm taking some of the mystery away, you know. <laughs> um, so so honestly, um, when I when I record an interview, um, I have I have a sticky note pad that's on the on my desk and a, a sharpie in my hand. Okay, um, the sticky note has the person's name on it. And then it has uh, underneath it has like a, a gap, and then I have a, a TA for the takeaways. I'm giving you all I'm giving you all the information. There's like no more secrets after this. So when I when I'm when I'm chatting, when we're having the interview, if something stands out to me, which usually it does, some some like little quote, some little funny something, some some maybe sometimes some type of inspirational something, something powerful. Um, 
if and when something stands out to me, I just mark down the timestamp. Sometimes I go back and listen to it and the, the two or three things that I, that, that I mark down as far as like possible intro little bits to play, um, they don't sound as good, maybe out of context or they don't flow as good or maybe it's, it's, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's good, but to get the right context, it's going to be 20 seconds. I try to keep them closer to 10 or less. Um, so sometimes, you know, the things I wrote down, none of them works. So then I have to kind of scroll through, listen. Uh, I look for spots where I'm laughing or where I respond a little bit. And then I'm like, all right, well, let's see what they said there. And, and I find something that way. Um, but most of the time it's something that, that happens during the episode. I notice it, write it down. Um, and then I can go right to that time span. Yep. This is good. Boom. Cut it out, put it at the beginning. Um, and we're good to go. So that's, that's usually how it happens when I'm doing these by myself. It's a little bit more tricky cause I don't like write them down. I just kind of try to remember the timestamp, which is, uh, usually makes for a little more hunting and pecking going on. Uh, afterwards to kind of pull that little, uh, the little dizzism out at the beginning. So, um, so yeah, I'm glad you enjoy them though. Like they're usually something that, that makes me laugh. And then it's kind of like, well, hopefully, hopefully somebody else gets it or hopefully somebody else likes it. But if not, whatever, like I'm humoring myself and, uh, you know, I'm glad that I'm at least humoring you as well, Jackie. So thank you for the question. And uh, I will definitely keep them coming with a little, the little blurb at the beginning. So I, I'm glad you appreciate that. Uh, next question comes from Nancy. Is it okay to run with a broken arm? Asking for a friend. Yeah, go for it. Um, maybe not quite that, uh, that, that nonchalant, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, obviously check with your doctor. Uh, I think that's, that's the first disclaimer that has to go out there. Right. Um, but you know, once, once the fracture, if it's, if it's set, if it's, if you got a cast on or a good, you know, whatever splint, whatever support that's keeping things from moving and it doesn't hurt when you run, if that jarring force of you running doesn't doesn't cause pain, which at a certain point in the healing process probably won't. I mean, there's probably no reason why you can't, um, again, check with your doctor depends on the type of fracture and the repair, how it was repaired and, and all that kind of stuff. There's, there's some variables at play here, but just in general, no, I don't, I don't see why it would be a problem. Um, it may be a little bit uncomfortable. You start sweating and you get some of that, that sweat inside the cast and it might itch and it might be, uh, might start to stink a little bit more. Uh, cause you can't get in there and clean it very well. Now, if you have a splint on, now you can take it off and, and give it a, a little bit more of a cleaning process. And that would probably be, uh, a little bit better, but if you got a hard cast on you're going to have some struggles there, but I mean, it, as long as it's, it's set enough, healed enough that you're running and that, that just the jarring force, the shaking of the arm, uh, isn't causing any issues with the healing process. I mean, I would say it, was, it should be fine. Should be fine. Um, but again, I'm just some clown that has a podcast. Ask your doctor. That's that's what really matters. Next question coming from David. What are some of the best trail shoes? Ultras, man. Uh, duh. Kidding. Kidding, David. Um, you know, really, when it, when it comes down to it, uh, ask what are the best trail shoes? I mean, there's dozens of good choices out there. You know, the Ultras are good. Uh, Solomon's are good. Uh, pretty much every company that makes shoes makes running shoes at least, makes trail shoes, all right? So uh, I think I think the better way to, to help you decide what kind of trail shoes you might need are, are a couple of questions to ask first. One, what kind of trails are you running on? Okay, because quite honestly, if you're running in a fairly non-technical trail, you may not even need trail shoes at all. Like some of the, the most of the trails down here that we run on on a fairly regular basis, like trail shoes are, are fine. They can, they can be good. They can be an asset a little bit, but they're really not required. You know, when I run with, with my friend Kate on us, we haven't run in a while, but hopefully soon we'll be getting back at it. 
and uh, being able to get some time on the trails as well. Um, she usually just runs in her regular road shoes. And she's fine. Every once in a while, she'll be a little slip or she'll have to take things a little bit more uh, careful because some of the, the trails are a little bit gnarly. Here we have like a mountain bike course that's a little bit gnarly there. I know I know you think Florida, there's no mountain biking, and I, I tend to agree with you, but this this little place that we run sometimes, um, there's some spots that she needs to be a little bit more careful with her trail shoes, especially if it's kind of muddy, you know, because it's a swamp. So, you know, you get a little bit wet, a little bit of mud on the bottom of your shoes. Um, and if you're not using trail shoes, that can be a little bit more of a slipping and falling hazard. And last thing you want to do is slip and fall into a uh, into the swamp with the gators and uh, take your chances there. Um, so, you know, she slows down a little bit. I run in my trail shoes. Even I slow down a little bit. But moral of that story, and not to throw Kate under the bus, but moral of that story, I hope she didn't think. Kate, I'm not throwing you under the bus. I don't even know why I, I use that colloquial. Colloqui- I don't even know why I use that saying. Um, moral of the story is you may not need trail shoes. Okay, depending on where you're running, what trails you're running. Now, if you're running on more technical trails, things where there's a lot of mud, uh, a lot of loose loose rock and steep downhills and treacherous, and if you fall, you might go off a cliff, you might want to get some trail shoes, okay? Because they're going to typically provide more traction. They've got more grip. They've got, you know, they kind of look like, uh, like uh, uh, you know, just more tread, deeper tread, thicker tread. So you're able to get more grip on the trail usually, all right? And that can be, it can be pretty important. So... Uh, you know, as far as if you decide that you want to get trail shoes slash need to get trail shoes, my, my next bit of advice would be to not focus on what brand, what company makes the best one. I would look at what shoes that you're wearing that seem to work well for you on the road. Maybe it's an ultra, maybe it's a new balance. Maybe it's an ASIC. I, I don't know, whatever it is, look at what you're wearing and then look at, do they have a similar trail shoe? You know, so if you're wearing a neutral medium cushion shoe, um, from XYZ company, well, look for a neutral, medium cushioned trail shoe from the same company because it's probably going to fit fairly close to the same. It's probably going to feel fairly close to the same as far as drop height, as far as tightness, as far as things like that. That if what you have is working currently, maybe try at least start by trying that on the trail side of things and see if that doesn't work for you as well. Now, you may have to trial and error a little bit. You may have to you know go with like, like I like a thin shoe for the road. I like a thicker shoe for the, the trail as far as cushioning goes um, because I hate like stepping on sharp roots and rocks and things like that. Uh, I've got sensitive feet, you know, I've got sensitive feet. Got to take care of, got to take care of them. Um, so you may find that you want a little bit more cushion. You may want to find that you want a little bit less cushion because you don't need as much because the, the softer surface. I don't know, uh, but I would start there. Start with the, the equivalent shoe of what you're wearing on the road as uh, in the trail and see if that doesn't kind of give you a starting place. Then, you know, try some different things as you go as, as the opportunity presents. And, and, you know, it, the, the deeper you get into to trail running, you know, the, the more you likely are to have several trail shoes. If you're just running trails once in a while, you may not even need a trail shoe at all. So there's, there's different ways of looking at it, but as far as the best, I mean, you know, like most of them are good. Read the reviews, check out running shoe, running shoes, guru.com. Um, I've got reviews I've written there for them. Um, but these days, I mean, for the most part, quality is pretty good across the board, you know, for the most part, but, uh, to find what works for you is the moral of that story. But thank you for the question, David. Uh, next two, both from Sharon. Uh, first one, I'm running the great virtual race across Tennessee. See you out there, Sharon. I see you out there. Uh, and as of today on 723, so about a week ago, I am just shy of the 500 mile mark. At the beginning, I was averaging 30 to 35 miles a week. And for the last month and a half or so, so, you know, for the second half so far, uh, I've been running 40 to 45 miles a week, except for one week, one week in mid June when I clocked 57 miles, I've been experiencing achiness in my feet, especially the right one, no sharp pains and nothing. And I feel nothing when I'm running, 
but just general soreness in the tops of my feet and my ankles. It's especially noticeable after I've been sitting or lying down and I get up to start walking again. Wearing shoes around the house helps. It subsides after a day or two of rest, but then as soon as I start running or hiking, it comes back. Any suggestions or theories? Thanks. Yeah, Sharon, I have a, 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 a theory, a possible theory, um, that it's just a matter of your body adjusting to a fairly you know, rapid increase, significant increase in your mileage um, you know, in a short period of time. So, you know, you, you all know, I'm not the biggest fan, Sharon. I know, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of that whole, you know, kind of, uh, only increase your mileage by 3% or by, by 10% a week. Um, but there is some, something to be said about not increasing too much too quickly. And if you look at, you know, 30 to 35 miles to 40 to 45 miles, doesn't sound like that much, but that's like, you know, let me, let me do the quick math here. Um, you know, th- if we make it easy, 30 to 40, um, Oh, here we go. Let's make it real easy. Make the math real easy, right? 30 to 45 miles per week. So from the low end at the beginning to the high end now, that's a 50% increase in your mileage in the span of a few weeks. It's a lot. It's a lot, right? Um, so, so, and, and then you even, you know, you, you topped out at a 57 mile week in there as well, which is, which is almost double, almost a hundred percent increase from that 30 mile average at the beginning of the, of the, uh, of the, the GVRAT. Um, so that's a, that's a, a lot of increase in a short amount of time. Um, now the, with what you're saying, I don't think there's anything to be super, super worried about. Like no major injury concerns here. Um, I think it's just your body kind of adapting to like, what the heck are we doing? Like Sharon, what is going on? We got a lot, a lot of, st- a lot of miles, a lot of time on our feet. That is much more than we have been. And it sounds like you're just kind of adjusting to it. And then, so then you sit down, you know, you, you go to bed, whatever, you're off your feet for a while, you get back up and it's like, you know, you, you kind of just take the pressure off of the area when you're not on your feet and then you get back up and it's like, like, Oh yeah. Like, uh, still sore. What, the, what the heck's going on? But then you start walking around, kind of loosens up, kind of subsides a little bit, no big deal. Um, so, so honestly, I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. Not entirely dissimilar to some of the things that I felt during this great virtual race across Tennessee situation as well. Um, again, I don't think long-term it's anything to be too, too worried about. Now, if you continue to increase your mileage at a, at a similar uh, rate, maybe it could turn into something more serious. But, you know, you get, get your last 130 miles or so, or maybe by this point of, of being a week later, you get your last 100 miles to get to the finish and, you know, give yourself a few days off to take a week where you're, where you're really just kind of relaxing, riding the bike, whatever. Uh, off your feet. And I wouldn't be surprised if things kind of feel back to normal, you know? Um, so, so I guess the moral of that story is it just kind of sounds like general achiness from an increase in your overall volume week after week after week. So, you know, maybe have a cutback week, you know, maybe you're, you're far enough ahead of the buzzard. I know you are because I, you're, it sounds like your mileage is right about where mine is. Um, you know, we're both far enough ahead of the buzzard that, you know, you take a week where you quote unquote only run 20 miles for a week. And that might make a world of difference or power through for two more weeks, finish the bloody thing, and then have a week completely off, which is closer to what my plan is. I don't think I'm gonna take a full week off, but I'm, I might take a week where I only run three days or something like that. Uh, get a little extra cross training in, give myself a little bit of a break mentally and physically, and uh, then get back at it towards the end of August. It's kind of, that's really probably my plan and probably wouldn't be a bad idea for you, Sharon. Just not even just for your ankles, but just for, you know, running so much, being on your feet so much, just take a little break that can do, uh, can do wonders for you. So, uh, congratulations on getting so far across the state. So, uh, 
so far getting so far across the state so far. Whew, that's the, the English teachers are not happy with me right there. Uh, but the moral of the story, congratulations on, on what you've accomplished so far and, and, you know, see you at the finish line. See you at the finish line. Uh, next question. Also, like I said, from Sharon, a friend texted me for advice about walking a 5k. She's planning for September. She says she usually walks 1.5 to two miles several times a week at about a 20 minute per mile pace. She wants to get it down to 15 minutes per mile so she can finish in 45 minutes. I told her that I'm no expert, but that she might want to try to increase her mileage and throw in some faster, shorter walks. Thinking about the run far to run fast theory. Does that apply to walking as well? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, this, and this just goes back to, to, you know, what I talk about all the time about building your base, right? Uh, getting time on your feet is invaluable, invaluable. Um, no matter if you're walking a 5k, running a 50k, uh, anything in between, anything on the, on the other extremes, time on your feet is what allows us to keep going, to stay healthy, to build the endurance that's necessary. Um, you know, trying to walk for, for your friend, trying to walk a little bit faster. Yeah. Doing some shorter stuff, or at least just being focused on walking 15 minute, uh, pace or faster once in a while would be good to kind of feel it out, but she needs some, some walks that are longer than two miles. She needs some, some three milers, some four milers, even if she stays at 20 minute pace or even slows down a little bit farther than that, just walking for an hour or two, at least an hour, maybe not an hour or two, but an hour, hour and 10 minutes, hour and 15 minutes. Uh, maybe, you know, kind of like a long run. She just has one of those longer walks per week. Uh, it would make a world of difference in, in how she's able to keep going at that 15 minute pace, that, that quicker walk pace at the end of her 5k. So you were totally right. Totally spot on. Um, and again, good advice for all of us. Like, don't be afraid if you're training for a 5k, you're training for a 10k to do something longer than that. It's, it's, it's important to do something longer than that. Now, you want to make the argument, you get up to the half marathon marathon. You don't want to go longer than that. Okay. There's, there's value in that, you know, depending on paces and experience and things like that. Um, but yeah, more time on your feet. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to, to build that endurance, to build that muscular strength, that muscular endurance, that aerobic endurance, all of that. So spot on run fat, run far to run fast. It, it definitely applies to running so, or to walking as well. So thank you for that question as well, Sharon. And, uh, Sounds like you gave your friends some good advice, which is uh, what we always love to hear. Uh, next question. I've got a handful still left. Goodness gracious. I'm, and I'm yapping. I'm yapping like crazy today. We're already at 50 minutes in just about, and we still got six or seven more questions to go. And we didn't even have that many questions today. I guess I just like to hear my, my own voice sometimes, right? Eh, hopefully you like to hear it as well. Uh, next question comes from Deb. Uh, are there more, quote unquote morning runners and daytime slash afternoon runners? And how do they differ? Why is my energy and pace so bad in the morning? Supposedly I'm rested and it's cooler, but I go out to run in the late mornings or afternoon, you know, high seventies to eighties and find it easier to run, you know, easier to breathe more energy. Um, and she says, while I grew up in Ohio, I currently live in central California where the word humidity isn't even found in the dictionary. So it's not like a humidity is a big factor, but certainly warmer in the afternoons. Um, so what's, what's the deal? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't know that I've, I've heard it classified as like there's morning runners and there's afternoon or, or evening runners. Um, but I mean, it would make sense, right? Like there's different types of, there's morning people, there's, there's night owls, there's people that are kind of more in, in between. Um, and that's, I mean, that's study, that's factual, right? It's, well, uh, science, you know, right? Like the different types of chronotypes, uh, different, different, uh, you know, kind of, uh, biological clocks that some people have, like that's totally normal. So it would kind of make sense that when it comes to when we run, like if you're more of a night owl that trying to force yourself to be a morning runner, like that's going to be harder. Like your body, you're, you're like trying to swim upstream in that situation. Right. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if that's, if that's the case, 
Also, though, I wouldn't be surprised if there's, sometimes there's a mental block in there. Like, I used to hate the idea of running in the morning. I used to be the guy that, like, had to wake up an hour and a half early so I could, like, nap on the couch and drink some coffee and try to, like, like wake my body up, get my joints to, to work, you know, all that kind of stuff. Kind of sounds like a little bit what you're dealing with there, Deb. Um, and then when I just kind of gave up and just said, like, I'm just going to run. Like, I have to run in the mornings. It's, when I, it's what I have to do. Like, I need some sleep. I need to not you know, get up at three o'clock to try to run it at five 30. Like I just need to get up at five to run at five 30. Um, and all of a sudden, like I figured it out, figured it out. So, you know, there could be a bit of a mental block. There could be just a bit of like, Oh God, I hate running in the morning. I'd so much rather run in the midday. Uh, I feel better. Like I feel better when I run in the midday, you know, but that doesn't work as well for the schedule. doesn't work as well for the Florida heat and humidity either. And the heart rate, because I've had coffee and it's hotter and it's more humid. So, you know, the heart rate training suffers if I run later in the day. So, you know, I just, Hey, I'm going to run in the morning. Boom happens. Like I got it done. So maybe there's that, but maybe, but again, there very well could be some biological, just kind of the way you're wired. If you're more of a, of a night owl or a kind of late riser, um, that trying to run first thing in the morning, like, yeah, it's just harder because like your biology, your, your biological clock is kind of working against you. So, you know, I think that if, if you find it easier to run midday and your schedule allows it like, Hey, do what works best for you. You know, uh, it, the, the least amount of, of resistance you can, you can encounter along the way, the more likely it is that you're going to continue to run, uh, be, be successful in your running, make, make progress towards your goals. So, you know, if you can swing it to run more midday, I wouldn't try to force yourself to be a morning runner, like running, run in the afternoon, run in the evening, run whenever it works best for you as far as how you're feeling and making sure it fits into your life as well. So it's, it's a balancing act. And sometimes you got to, you know, give up one to get the other. Uh, but hopefully you can have the best of both worlds, but thank you for the question. Deb hope that that answer made a little bit of sense. Uh, next question comes from Hilda. She asks, I would like to progressively add miles to my runs. I'm about 45 to 50 miles per week right now. How do I know how much to add and when the reason I'm adding miles is because I have been reading that adding volume can make you a faster runner. And I do need to work on endurance as well. I know to run faster, you need to run fast, but I am worried about adding weekly speed work simultaneously. Uh, should I stay where I'm at at 50 miles and add speed work? Uh, thanks. Hashtag injury prone runner, hashtag Boston goals. So Hilda, this is a, this is a loaded question you're asking. So I'm giving you, I'm going to give you a loaded answer. Cause, uh, I know, I, I know that we've talked enough that I know you can handle, uh, handle what I'm about to say it may give you a little something to think about and you may just throw it out the window and that's cool too. But, uh, I need to be careful how I, how I start this. So I don't get myself pointing in the wrong direction. Um, you're running 45 to 50 miles a week. Like how much more are you thinking about adding? Like, like, yes, there's a point where if you want to build your endurance, if you want to get faster, you want to continue to grow, you, you need to run more. I'm not so sure that you need to run more though. 45 to 50 miles a week. That's, that's a, that's a pretty good amount of mileage. Now, if you, if, you know, when you get into a, a training cycle, um, you know, if you want to bump that up to, you know, whatever, 55, 60, maybe 65 for, you know, two or three weeks in a training cycle. Hey, yeah, cool. That, that probably makes sense. But like, like how much more mileage per week do you think you, do you think you need to build the base that you, that you need or want to, to get back to Boston qualifying? Like, like I, I, I mean, I don't know what your training is right now exactly, but I, I would be hard pressed to say that, oh no, 45 to 50 miles is not enough. Like I, I, I can't 
imagine a scenario where the right 45 to 50 miles per week isn't more than enough to build that base that you need to then be able to launch yourself forward towards a good Boston, a good shot at qualifying for Boston again at a race in the future. Um, I don't think you need to add more is I guess what I'm trying to say, at least not right now. And not, not like week after week after week. Again, you might have a week here and there. Maybe you have, you know, one week a month that you push it up to, to 55 or 60 miles that you do, you know, a, a, a midweek kind of pseudo long run and then a really long run on the weekend. And then you, you balance that out with, you know, three or four other, um, you know, kind of quote unquote normal distance runs. And that ends up being a bit longer than what you normally do. Cool. Great. But you, week after week. And then you get to the bottom of your, your question, you, you know, injury prone runner, like even more reason to, to not push the envelope too much, right? Like, like the last thing that any of us needs when we're working towards a, a big goal is to deal with an injury setback in the middle of it. Cause then we lose so much progress, right? So, and, and I don't mean to, to, to make you feel bad or, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to, to express as clearly and as strongly as I can that, that I don't think you need to, to add more miles. You know, I think in the, in the little write up in the show notes for today, I think I even said like, like, yeah, more mileage is good at one point, but at some point it starts to bring diminishing returns. And I feel like at 50 miles per week, just piling on more miles because you think that's what you need to do. You're starting to get into diminishing returns territory to where all of a sudden the risk of injury, the risk of overuse problems starts to really go up. And the benefit of being at 60 miles per week, 65 miles a week. Like, I don't think that the ratio of, of increased injury risk versus increased risk of, or increased probability of benefits, like those don't make sense anymore. You're, you're, I'm going to make up numbers, but like, say, say if you bump your mileage up to 65 miles per week or 60 miles per week, maybe that, that gives you the, you know, 3% increase in your endurance, but raises your injury risk by 50%. I mean, that doesn't make sense, right? So I would, I would say stick with where you are. Maybe dabble, maybe dabble once every couple, three weeks and going a little bit longer, but, but it just doesn't make sense to me right now to, to, to encourage you to go. Yeah. Go, go longer week after week after week. Like, I think you're in a good place, especially with no races coming up. Right? Like, I think you're in a good place now, as far as speed work goes. Yeah. Maybe you could, maybe that is what you need to do a little bit more intentional speed work, intentional workouts. But again, probably fewer of those than you might think. Like, like you're injury prone, right? Like you, you say that in there. So we need to be a little bit more cautious maybe, or at least I would encourage you to be a little bit more cautious in the frequency and the intensity of the workouts that you're doing. Now you want to work hard once in a while, of course, and that can look at a variety of different ways, but maybe instead of trying to do two hard workouts a week, maybe it's one every two weeks. And then you're, you're continuing to log those 45, 50 miles per week, building that base, keeping those runs easy, keeping them where, you know, keeping them where they're, they're not stressful for your body. You're feeling good. You're recovering well. And then every couple of weeks you mix in a hard, you know, 400 meter workouts or tempo runs or whatever, you mix in one of those workouts every, every week or two, and then back to running easy, building that base, patching the cracks that, that develop from overuse from, uh, the hard workouts that can very easily turn into injuries. If we don't take care of them by running easy, by giving yourself a little break, by cutting back your mileage once in a while, sometimes less is more I'm not saying to cut back to 30 miles per week every week, 
but maybe you have a week every month. Maybe you do, maybe you do that week of hard workout, or maybe you have that week where you climb your mileage up to 60 miles. And then the next week you cut it back to 30, 35, a little extra time on the bike, a little extra time sleeping, a little extra ways to help take some of that stress off your body so that it has a chance to recover. You know, going back to Liz's question about why are off days so hard? Maybe you need a little bit more focus on your off days to stay healthy, which then helps you get closer to your Boston goals, which then helps you get faster, which helps improve your endurance. And you don't even have to run anymore. You know? So, um, I know that's a long answer. I know it got maybe a little bit, uh, a little bit fiery there, but, um, but I care about you, Hilda, and I want you to get back to Boston again. And I don't think that more is necessarily the answer. For some people, it might be, but for you, knowing you, knowing our, our history of working together a little bit in the past, um, I don't think that more is probably the, the best answer for you right now. Maybe, but that's my, that's my answer is, is stay where you are add a little bit of speed work, be intentional about staying healthy, be intentional about building some of that, that strength and endurance without trying to do more. And that might get you farther ahead than more would hope that makes sense. Hope that's helpful. Obviously we can, if you want to discuss further, we can discuss further at any point. Happy to do that. But thank you for the question and uh, hope things are well in Texas. Hope things are well in Texas. Uh, next question coming from uh, new England. So not Texas, uh, coming from Ellen asks overtraining. Have you ever experienced it or had an athlete that has, I typically associate overtraining with a high training load. Uh, my mileage has been a lot less than what I've been able to handle in the past, but life stress has been high for a long period of time. Thank you, COVID. And with training for a virtual full coming up, I have no choice but to prepare so I don't get injured while I run the event. Is it possible for someone to be overtrained even if they aren't doing crazy mileage and workouts? And how does one, one then even begin to deal with it? So yeah, it's absolutely possible. I would maybe argue or maybe nitpick is the better way of saying it, that there's less maybe overtraining and more burnout. Symptoms are pretty much the same. But like you said, I mean, your, your mileage right now, not ridiculous, not to the point of like overtraining necessarily, but the amount of stress in your life and then stressing about this race coming up, stressing about how your runs are not going as well as you'd like them to be, uh, stressing about the stress. Uh, that's, that's, I mean, that's, that sounds like burnout to me, right? It sounds like, like mental fatigue to me, which is kind of burnout, kind of overtraining the kind of, kind of all synonyms here. Uh, the moral of the story is they all kind of, you know, uh, they're all kind of the same thing. kind of all sounds like what you're dealing with. So, you know, how do you, so is it possible? Yeah, absolutely possible. Sounds like it's almost a certainty that that's what you're dealing with. How do you then deal with it? How do you, how do you keep on track with your training? Man, I wish I had a silver answer. If, if I, if I had the silver bullet answer for this, you'd already had it, Ellen. You wouldn't be answering the question right now, or I wouldn't be answering the question because you wouldn't be asking it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a game of whack-a-mole sometimes. Like it really is like, try this. Oh, nope. That didn't work. Oh, try whack over here. Try that. Oh, yeah, yeah that didn't work. Oh, oh, maybe this one worked a little bit, got a couple points, but it didn't quite, oh, yeah, you know, it's just, it's just a matter of trying different things, trying different things. Um, so maybe it's taking a little bit of time off. Maybe it's taking uh, a little bit of focus away from, you know, the data, not worried about how fast you go, how far you go, paces, things like that. Heart rate. Don't worry about that. Just, just run and try to enjoy it. Change the scenery, run different places, get on the trail, get on the roads, different town over, get on the track. I don't, you know, trying different things, running with people, running without people, with music, with podcasts, with an audio book, with silence, being in your own head. Although maybe being in your own head isn't the right answer right now. I don't know, but you try different things and hopefully something clicks. And then when it does, 
the tendency is to then double down on it. But sometimes that can create more problems because then you double down on it. And as soon as you have a bad day, you're like, oh shit, like now what? You know, so maybe it's, 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 it's all kind of management at this point, you know, of, of yes, there's a certain amount of training you need to do, but you don't want to overdo it. So it's, it's playing with different things. You know, maybe it's, it's, you know, instead of a steady build, like, uh, like we would normally probably do for a marathon, right? Like, you know, 16 miles this week, 18 miles next week, 20 miles and continue to build, have a little cutback, build back up. Like maybe it's 16 miles this week, 10 miles next week, 18 miles, 10 miles, 19 miles, 12 miles, 16 miles, you know, and maybe it's something like that where it's, it's more of a up and down every single week so that you're having, um, you're getting the, the mileage in that you need to build towards the marathon, but you're not like going, Oh God, every single week I've got these mammothy long runs that are just a struggle from this, the, the get go. Like, you know, you have that, that long run that you struggle through and the next week, Hey, phew, only 10 miles. I can handle that. Maybe it's only eight miles. I don't know. Something that, that's a, that's a digestible distance that doesn't just seem like it's this, this black cloud hanging over your head the whole week up to the next long run. But it's just, a, it's just a, hate to say it this way. It's just a guessing game. It's trying different things, trying to figure out what works when you find something, keep, keep, keep on it, but try some different things as well. So you got some variety, you got some different ways to, to try to shift your mindset to, to you know, forget about life right now. Forget about COVID for a minute. It's easy for me to say, hard to do, but you, you find a way that, that maybe it works and then you adjust and, and adapt and keep trying keep different, going different, different ways, different things. And, uh, you know, trying to find ways to make it fun. If you make it fun, then hopefully you, you can kind of turn that corner and, uh, and, and have it stop feeling like you're burnt out, like you're overtrained. Um, you know, maybe life just needs to, to deal us all a break right now. And, and maybe that's what ultimately all of us need to kind of get, get through the rest of 2020. Uh, so, you know, keeping the, keeping the fingers crossed for that, but, uh, don't give up hope, Ellen. We got this. Um, but it's not, as you know, right now, it's not easy. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Um, next question. We got one, two, three, four, five more to go. And I'm starting to lose my voice, but we're going to get through these last five questions. Uh, one from Hildy. How long should I wait to run after a strained calf muscle? I was running on the trails and felt a pop in my calf on the way down a hill on Wednesday. I was told to ice slash foam roll slash sit and do calf raises and give it through tomorrow. And I can probably run on Sunday, but it's still pretty painful. Suggestions. Whew. Um, so Hildy, um, I don't, I don't know which medical expert on, fa- I'm assuming it was a medical expert on Facebook that told you that, you know, give it like two days and it'll be fine. Um, but I'm going to disagree with said expert. Um, and I don't mean that, I don't think that person, probably not an expert, but I don't think that person was trying to steer you wrong. It's just, you know, I mean, trying to crowdsource injury information is, is a tricky, tricky game. And that's ultimately what you're doing here. Right. Um, but hopefully I've got a little bit different perspective than to just think that, oh yeah, just, just ice foam roll, do calf raises, and then it'll be good in, in two days. Like, yeah. Um, I mean, maybe that works once in a while, but doesn't sound like that worked for you. So when it comes to, to soft tissue injuries, kind of like some of the, the other questions that were asked earlier, um, you know, about, about kind of, uh, Barb's question about recovery from, uh, an acute injury, which I mean, that's what it is. String calf on the trail. That's an acute injury. Um, you know, it could be a day or two thing. It could be a week or two thing. It could be a month or two thing. All right. I hope it's not the latter. I hope it's not a month or two. I hope it's not even a week or two. 
It kind of sounds like that might be the case, at least the case, um, because these things are, are, are tricky. And there's a lot of variables at play as far as when you can start running again, where you start running again. How is it feeling? What's the healing process like? You know, there's, there's just so many variables to, to say that, oh, yeah, you know, uh, give, it, give it a couple of days with some calf raises and you'll be good to go. Like, no, don't do calf raises. Like you strained the muscle and now we're going to like do calf raises, which is going to force the muscle to work more with the muscle, the, the tissues damaged. Yes. We need to, to restore the strength in there, but we need to allow it to heal a little bit first, you know? Um, especially, you know, there's a chance that maybe it was a small strain and then you can do too much. I'm not saying you did. I hope you didn't, but the proverbial you can do too much and make a minor strain worse because you overload the tissue too quickly before it has a chance to start healing. So we need to wait a minute. Um, I think that, that if I'm going to, if I'm going to give general answers here, general advice to a specific question, which I feel like I can't give specific answers because I don't know all the specific details. Um, but the general advice would be, you know, for something like a strained calf, which I've been there before, not a lot of fun. Um, you know, the first, the first hurdle you need to, to clear before you're like, Oh, maybe I can run on Sunday is can you walk around without it bothering you? Like if you can't walk around the house, if you can't walk through the grocery store, if you can't walk around at work, maybe work is from, is from home right now, but whatever. If you can't go through daily life without feeling your calf, without favoring that side, then you're not ready to run, period. Now, once you can get through daily life and you can do it for a few days, you can go up and down steps, you can walk up, you can walk the dog up the hill, uh, you can, you know, play with the kids a little bit, maybe not like chase them down, but you can, you can, you can do life without thinking about it every, every time your foot hits the ground. Well, now we can think about running again. Maybe that's Sunday. Maybe that's a week from Sunday. Maybe that's a month from Sunday. I don't know. It depends how the process goes. But the last thing you want to do with a soft tissue injury, like a strained muscle is try to rush the process because that thing starts to heal a little bit. Then you get back out there to run and boom, right back to where you started from possibly even worse. So be, be cautious. When you're ready to start running again, start real short, start real easy. The goal of your first run shouldn't be to see how far you can go. It should be to finish without being in pain, without feeling anything in your calf. So maybe it's a quarter mile. Maybe it's a half mile, probably not much more than a mile. All right. Get out there. Something real short, real easy, hopefully really painless. And then that's, that's the next hurdle you hurdle. You, you clear. And then it's all right. Well, then you do a little bit more. But if you start, if you're like, well, let's see how far I can go before I start to feel it. Guess what? You just, you just knock the healing process back a few days. So it's, it's a tricky song and dance and there's probably going to be some steps forward and steps back. But you know, I think that, uh, whoever told you didn't give you the best advice. I'm sure it wasn't, again, I'm sure it wasn't intentional, but I don't, I don't, I don't like a lot of that advice. Icing. Okay. That's cool. Foam rolling. Yeah. That's, that's not a bad idea. Um, calf raises, yeah, don't like that idea. And then just take one day off and then try to run again. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't like that at all. Um, trying to put a time on it is, is an exercise in futility. Uh, be patient, let the process play out. Hopefully it's not going to take too long, but man, don't, don't rush a strained muscle. Uh, and then when you do get back to running real easy for a while, you, you can, you can get away with running a little bit earlier. If you're running easy, if you're pushing the pace, doing any type of speed work, any type of thing that's, that's a little bit more higher intensity. Um, you're asking for trouble. You're asking for trouble. So be smart, be patient, keep it easy. And hopefully Hilda, you'll be back to running 
sooner rather than later. Uh, maybe already by now, because this question is almost a week old. So maybe, hopefully, you're already back to running um, at this point. But uh, if not, you know, it's, it's, it's not unheard of for a strained muscle to take a week or two or three or four or six. It just depends on how bad it was and how well you've kind of nurtured that healing process in those early days. Um, next question comes from Neil. I want to ask about cramps, specifically major calf cramps that pop up unannounced during sleep. The kind that are so severe, you have to jump out of bed and stand up to get it to go away. My dad called them a Charlie horse. What causes that? Is it a hydration issue or a lack of salt? Not sure. So, uh, Neil, I know, I know what you're going through my friend because I've been there. Uh, thankfully touch wood. It's been, uh, I don't know. It's been, it's been a while since I've had like regular cramps, but I used to get them. Um, I mean, not like super regularly, but regularly enough that like I would always wake up a split second before the calf would really grab. And I had it enough that I would, I would experiment, right? Like I would wake up, I'd feel that sensation. Like sometimes I'd point my toes. Sometimes I'd flex my toes. Sometimes I'd bring my knee up to my chest before it grabbed. Like, and it didn't matter. Whatever I did, it still grabbed. It was still just as painful. Took just as long for it to release. I never jumped out of bed. I just kind of laid there and, and silently cried to myself until it would release. It usually, you know, felt like it took an hour. It usually was probably what, 10 seconds, 12 seconds, something like that. It would finally release and huh, I'd fall back asleep. Then I'd wake up in the morning and it would be hurt in. So I know what you I know what you're dealing with. What causes it? It could be a myriad of factors, but the most likely are the two that you mentioned, because they're kind of related, right? Like, is it a hydration issue? Is it a lack of salt? Most likely, it's something where the the salt electrolyte balance in your in your muscles, specifically in your calves. Um, although it's a muscle all the, all the way around, because um, it's not like it's not like your body is is that isolated. Like it's it's not like it's just in your calves, but something has caused that balance to be off could be training, could be, um, you know, the most likely issue, especially if this kind of only is happening in the summer months is a a, a salt issue most likely because we're sweating more, right? Like you're sweating more out out for your runs. You're sweating more just out walking the dog. You're sweating more tending to the bees, like whatever it is, you're sweating more, you're losing more salt. So you're not consciously replacing it. And sometimes we're replacing, we're drinking plenty of water, but we're not replacing the salt as well. So we, we kind of dilute the, uh, the concentration in our muscles, which that can cause the, the spasms that can cause the, 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 the cramping. So, uh, you know, I, I haven't like studied it enough to like know exclusively that's what it is, but my hunch would be drink a little bit more water, add a little bit more salt to your food. Hopefully that'll help to, uh, kind of nip the, nip the, nip the problem in the bud and you can get some good nights sleep without that causing any problems anymore. Um, and then for good measure, you know, stre- stretch your calves a little bit more because all of us, all of us runners could benefit from stretching our calves a little bit more, but I don't think that's really the problem. I think the problem is, is some combination of hydration, salt balance. And so bump your salt up a little bit, bump your water up as well. And hopefully that'll help solve the problem. But it's, it's not fun. It's not fun. And I'm sorry, I don't have a better answer for you, but, uh, and I don't know why that I, mine turned around, but it's happened. And I do, uh, I'm not worried about it. Like I'm happy that I don't have the, the, the semi-regular calf cramps anymore. So hopefully you can make it a thing of your past as well. Uh, next question comes from Karen with so many races being canceled. I temporarily started doing some trail races. We are fortunate enough to have a trail race series from now until December. This past weekend, I ran the first race in this series. My question is what is the best way to run down a steep hill that has some rocks on it? I don't fly down them like I would on the road because I'm afraid of falling or slipping or some loose dirt. I find myself taking shorter steps and it feels kind of like I'm hopping from one foot to the other as I step. Do you have any better solutions or strategies? So 
Karen, honestly, what it sounds like what you're doing is probably about right. Um, because, you know, one of the things that, that I've kind of learned, I think, experienced, is that you're almost more likely to slip when you're, like, trying to fight it, when you're trying to, to really, like, slow down. Um, like, if, if I just feel like, like, even though sometimes you feel like you're getting out of control, if you just kind of, like, go, like, that kind of makes it makes me feel a little more stable than when I'm like leaning way back, running on my heels, things like that. Now that said, running down a, a, tr- a steep trail with roots and rocks and all that kind of stuff, like I get, I wouldn't be bombing down that either. So I'm not, I'm not telling you to do that. Um, but I love what you're doing. Keep your feet underneath you. That's, that's huge. Uh, you know, you're more likely to slip when you get your foot far out in front of you because, you know, hashtag science alert, uh, you, you reduce your coefficient of friction when your, your foot is out in front of your center of mass. So you do that and you land on something that's a little bit loose and it's whoop, out it goes. And pretty soon your ass is over elbows going down the trail. But by keeping your foot underneath you, keeping your weight over your feet, your center of mass over your feet as much as possible, that dramatically decreases the risk of slippage because you got all this force coming right down on your, on your foot underneath you. So I kind of like that idea of short steps, keeping it underneath you, almost hopping, step to step, be intentional about where you're landing. You know, when you're running on the trail, you got to be a lot more aware of where are the roots, where are the sticks, where are the little things, little holes, little this and that and the other. You know, you don't necessarily see them all, but especially down a hill, something like that, be very intentional about trying to figure out where you're going to land. And what that might also mean, kind of contradicts what I just said, but you may not always have your foot right underneath you because you may see, all right, I could land here, but there's some, some, you know, some, some leaves or whatever. But if I extend my foot out just a little bit more, if I reach for the landing a little bit more, it's it's a patch of dry ground. And I can land there and I can pr- probably trust that that's going to be pretty sturdy, pretty sturdy, right? I'm probably not going to slip. Maybe you got some trail shoes on as well. It gives you a little more traction, a little more confidence. You know, and if you're going to be running a lot of trails the rest of the year, if you don't have trail shoes, you might want to think about getting a pair. Just because it's going to give you more confidence, especially when we get into the fall, get into wet leaves, some rain, some some dicier conditions out there. A little extra grip might be worth the the cost of adding a pair of shoes to the arsenal. So, um, you know, I think what you're doing sounds right. Sounds about like what I would do. Don't be afraid to have your arms kind of flailing out to the side, kind of like that, like you're swimming almost. That that helps to keep you under balance and keep you under control. You might you might think it looks a little weird. You might it might actually look a little weird, but everybody's doing it because it works. Because it works. It just kind of helps to to balance us out, right? To keep the the upper body a little bit crazier. It helps keep the lower body a little bit silenter that balance situation, but it, it works. So, you know, do kind of what feels natural. Keep your feet underneath you. Look for good spots to land. Um, maybe get some trail shoes, maybe get some trail shoes, but enjoy it. I mean, trail running is awesome. Trail running is a lot of fun. Uh, as I've said many times for something, I wish I, I made a point to do more of, uh, maybe that something will be something that I will do more of, you know, in the coming months and, and, uh, uh, as life starts to hopefully get back to normal sooner rather than later. Um, but enjoy it out there. Enjoy it out there. Stay safe. Stay upright as much as you can. Um, but have fun. And remember that, that falling is kind of part of trail running as well. So you're gonna you're gonna have some tumbles along the way. Um, but you don't want to have them on the steep downhills if you can avoid it, right? Like that's that's the worst time to have a, a good a good tumble. So be, be have fun out there. Be safe. Uh, two questions left. One from Jamie. I am a crock pot runner, meaning slow and steady. But when I try to add speed for short distances, I often end up injured. Not sure what I'm doing wrong. And even my speed is not fast. Any ideas? I can add distance without problems. So, uh, Jamie, I think this is a great question and, uh, something that, that 
maybe is is more common than we than we maybe think, um, or at least maybe the problem is more common than we think. And that is, uh, my my gut from your question is telling me that when you try to do speed work, when you try to 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 ramp up the, the speed a little bit for a short distance, you're just doing too much. You're doing too much. You're pushing too hard, either a combination or either one or the other or a combination of you're pushing too hard, trying to do it for too long, or again, or, or doing too hard for too long. So my, my suggestion is a couple of different options, a couple of different options. One might be to, to mix in some strides, which is like the shortest possible speed workout. So you're running along at your normal slow and steady pace, which is nothing wrong with slow and steady. Don't beat yourself up about that. That's your pace. That's perfect. It's right where you need to be. Run along at that slow and steady pace and then for like 20 seconds, just accelerate. Maybe don't reach 100% full sprint. Just pick up the pace a little bit. So I'm going to make up numbers. They may be accurate. They may not be. I don't know. But say your slow and steady pace is 12 minutes per mile. So you're running along 12 minutes per mile. No big deal. Could do this all day. Then for 20 seconds, try to pick it up to, I don't know, 1030, 1015 pace. Basically, by the time like your watch registers the faster pace, that's when it's time to start slowing down and then just settle back in 12 minute pace. Obviously you can, you can adjust that up or down as needed, whatever your slow and steady pace happens to be, but, but doing something like that, where you're getting a little taste of speed, but it's not too much. It's not overwhelming the system. That can be a good, a good starter, a good kind of way to prime the pump a little bit, prime your body to be able to withstand a little bit more exertion, a little bit more effort, a little bit more stress and strain. Cause that's what, that's what speedy stuff is, right? It's more stress. It's more force more likely to, to cause problems. So, so bite off a little bit less and see if that doesn't allow you over the course of three, four months to then start to push a little bit longer and maybe do a quote unquote proper speed work where you're doing, you know, some type of, of, you know, one minute or two minute or whatever, some type of proper intervals, as opposed to just a 20 second acceleration a few times during your runs. Another option or another suggestion might be to pull back on the intensity a little bit. So maybe you want to do some type of interval. Maybe you want to do run, run one minute hard, recover for a minute or two, run one minute hard, whatever. Cool. Do it. But instead of trying to like go all out for that minute, maybe put a little limit on yourself. Put a you know, put a, put a governor on the engine, if you will. So like maybe aim for whatever your 5k pace might be. So again, throwing some numbers out there, maybe accurate, maybe not. You can adjust. Hopefully you can understand the example and then adjust it to fit, fit your needs. So maybe, maybe your 12 minute pace is your, is your, is your slow and steady pace, right? So maybe when you're starting your speed workout, instead of aiming for a 10 minute pace for like a longer duration interval, you're aiming for 11 minutes, 11, 15. Now that may not seem like it's much, but we don't want you to get injured, right? We don't want to have an injury happen because we tried to push too much. So, so start there, start just a marginally faster, but it's faster. It's not like it's, it's, you know, 12 minute pace versus 11, 53. Like, no, 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 no. This is a full minute per mile faster. That's significant. All right. So you do that for your intervals and you recover and you do that again and you recover. And maybe it doesn't feel like you're working too hard, but here's the key. Do you come out of it uninjured? Then it was a success. And then, you know, you do that a few times, maybe every couple weeks, something like that. Don't, don't overdo it. That's where injuries happen as well. Give yourself plenty of time to adapt. Try it again. Feel pretty good. All right. Maybe the next time you bump that pace up a little bit faster. All right, well, 11 minute pace didn't feel like it was too hard. Maybe let's try 10:45. 10:30. And again, that's a sliding scale, make it fit to where where you currently are. But, you know, instead of trying to just go 100%, maybe aim for 80%, 75%, 70%. 
as long as it's faster than your normal pace, your body's going to start to adapt. And as it continues to adapt, as it continue, as you continue to get stronger, as you start to build up some confidence that, Hey, maybe I can push this without getting injured every time. Then you can, you can bump it up a little bit more, push a little bit harder and your body. It won't be such a shock to your body, which means you're less likely to get injured. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that you're doing necessarily anything wrong. You're just, it sounds like you're just trying to do too much too quickly. So back it off a little bit, take some baby steps as you, as you continue to, to add some speed work in. And hopefully that'll help you to stay healthy, which helps you then to make more progress, which helps you then to do more speed work. Um, and all of that starts to work together as opposed to you do too much, you're injured, you're not able to run as much and it starts to spiral the other way. So hope that helps Jamie. Uh, other questions, let us know. Last but not least, Ms. Melody chiming in. Can't have a Q and a episode without at least one melody question, which, which you just got it in by the, uh, by, by the, the hair of my chinny chin chin before uh, we recorded this and just popped up. But, uh, do you write your own training plan is Melody's question. I mean, to, to borrow a line from Heath Ledger, like, do I look like a guy with a plan? Like, sh- sure. Yeah. I, I write my own plan, but I mean, I don't really have a plan. <laughs> uh, my plan is to just run. You know, like I, I kind of have my targets. I have my, my numbers that I like to hit. You know, I got my, my, my goals for, for the year for my 2020 miles. I know what I have to do per week to hit that. Um, so that, yeah, I mean, it, yes, I write my own plan. Do I have a plan? Eh, not really <laughs> is the, is the moral of that story. Um, you know, it works for me. I'm loosey goosey. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I, I don't have anything to train for right now. So I'm not like super worried about it. And when I do, like, I kind of know, right, by this time I need to be up to here. I need to, you know, like, like I have the loose guidelines that I kind of put it together. Um, I, I would probably benefit from having somebody like write a workout for me. Um, and when I get closer to Boston, that, that's something that I wouldn't be surprised if I do take it out of my own hands, let somebody else tell like, like I know how much a, a coach can help people. If I didn't believe that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be coaching. Right. Um, but I also know enough to like, to, to, take care of myself on most fronts. So I'm kind of at that point now where like, yeah, a coach might help me would undoubtedly help me, but like, it's not like I'm, I'm one race away from BQing. So like, eh, we'll just stick with where, with, with what I'm doing. It's working. I'm seeing progress. Things are trending in the right direction. Um, and maybe somewhere down the line, I'll have somebody write a plan for me. But for right now, I'm totally cool doing it myself because like I literally spend about one and a half seconds per week, figuring out my, my training plan for the week. Like it's, it's, there's no thought that goes into it. It's the same thing every week, you know, runs, runs Monday through Friday, a little bit longer on Wednesday, long run on Saturday, rinse and repeat, like math test once a month ish, uh, speed workout once a quarter ish. There's, there's my plan that you want to know what my plan is for 2020. That's it right there. That's, that's it for the, the last, the next five months. That, that is what I'm doing every single week, unless something knocks me off my pedestal, which is always a possibility, but hopefully not a probability. So, uh, I don't know. Does that make you feel more comfortable in me as your coach melody? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Uh, but that's, that is the answer. I, I write my own plan, but I don't really have a plan. So, you know, there's that. But, and, and with that, we are finished. And how, how did we get like, like a couple weeks ago? You know, we had or a couple months ago, whatever, we had like 27 questions and it took like an hour and 45 minutes. And this week we have like 15 questions and we're taking like an hour and a half. Goodness gracious. This guy, this guy, meaning me, just can't, can't get to the point to save his bloody life. 
It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. But hopefully you made it to the end. If you did, thank you for listening. Uh, what What is your uh, takeaway from today's episode? What is something? What is your feedback? You tell me to shut my yap. You tell me to talk more. Whatever it is, I'd love to hear from you guys. So, uh, you know, let me know what you thought about today's episode. At Dizruns on Twitter. At Dizruns on Instagram. Uh, Dizruns at gmail.com. We got links. We got memes. We got GIFs. We got, we got all the things as we usually do, even though most of you don't check out the show notes. I put I put some effort in there, so if you want to check them out, check them out. Dizruns.com slash 861 today. There's also that comment section on the website. You can leave your thoughts and feedbacks there. We got links to all the books I mentioned. If you want to get a book, if you, if you need something to read, uh, you know, going through those links on the website, like it does help the cause. So those are Amazon links. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but it does put a couple shekels into the old uh, coffers, which, you know, they're not empty, but they're not exactly full. So a couple shekels, that's appreciated. Um, so if you want to, you know, get something from Amazon, go through one of those links. Helps the, helps the cause. Uh, so disruns.com slash 861. We got other links there as well. Check it all out. Um, but my voice is going, so I'm going to go. Uh, y'all, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this one, hit the share button. Tell a friend about it. I uh, always appreciate the you all spreading the word and new folks finding the show. And that comes from y'all. So thank you for that. New folks, thanks for listening. Appreciate y'all. Folks who have been listening for a while, thanks for listening. Appreciate y'all. Uh, and until next time, please be well. Take care. Thanks for all the questions. And we'll talk soon, all right? See you guys.